Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. So, Before I get started on my message, I have two messages. One's a short journal message about Thanksgiving. I wrote in my journal a few years ago. I don't have a date on here. I don't know when it was. I updated it. You know, if you go in your notes on your phone, if you make one little change, it will give you the new date, which is the day you write the note in it. And the thing is, I was looking for it because I searched and searched and searched. And so what I added, just a little heart on it so that it would take it to the top of the list. And now I don't know how old this uh, journal is, but I titled it Give Thanks, The Lifestyle of a Worshiper. Again, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I just wanted to share it with this week. I remember as a preteen being challenged by my mother to memorize scripture. It was something that the whole family participated in. Maybe I should define what I mean by challenged. Here's how it went down. You kids have one week to memorize this chapter. If you succeed, you all get $5 each. If you don't succeed, you get a whipping. Spoken in mom's Texan drawl. I want everyone to know that I was never concerned about the whipping. I was excited about the $5. But that's how the word of God became a part of my daily life. One of the first chapters we were assigned to learn was Psalm 100. I can still quote it today, but I'm going to read it just to be safe. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. The new King James says, you lands. The old King James says, ye lands. I memorized the old King James. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Now, when I quoted it back to mom, I didn't say it like this. Did I just kind of feel like I need to say it loud? We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Now, music was always a part of my life. I started playing the piano when I was five years old. I always sang with my brothers and my sister. So reading phrases like, come before his presence with singing, or enter his gates with thanksgiving, drew me in. Even when I didn't understand his presence, I knew a lot about singing. We sang at church. We sang at home. I remember singing in the swing in my backyard down on Binge Street, 116 Binge. There's a little house they have renovated. It looks much nicer than the house 
we lived in. But I remember there was a, a rope swing in the backyard. And I remember one day in that swing, swinging as high as I could swing, singing as high as I could sing an old hymn. And there's, let me say, in the beautiful city of the sweet forever, where the river of life. I'm just belting it out. Goes ebbing by. Anybody ever heard that song? Zaheer, no, it wasn't his world. He just looked at me kind of funny. <laughs> but the term Thanksgiving was a holiday in November. A few weeks before Christmas. I didn't understand what was being said. I had visions of pilgrims and turkeys. So memorizing this passage was just a way to get my $5. I had no idea that it would become the blueprint of my life. Now, last week I talked about blueprints, bricks, and builders. I would soon learn that Thanksgiving was more than a holiday. As a teenager, the concept started taking shape as I began to discover the art of worship. An idea that would grow into a lifestyle and completely consume my life. Come before his presence with singing. If I wanted anything, it was his presence. And singing could get me there. But before I could find him, I had to find the gate, the entrance. Then I discovered that a thankful heart would open the door. Then I could sing my way right into his arms. In the message translation, it says it like this. On your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. Say that with me. Sing yourselves into his presence. Know this, God is God. He made us, we didn't make him. We're his people, his well-tended sheep. Enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him, worship him, for God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal always and ever. Being thankful will press open the gate. It'll take you from the natural into the supernatural. I was determined to give thanks until I became thanks. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The old King James was concerning you. I hear people ask me all the time, how can I discover the will of God for my life? What am I supposed to be? Who am I? What is the will of God for me? I want to stress to you that you can learn to hear the voice of God and get clarity on specific direction. But until you're able to do that, 
find his will in his word. Paul said it so well, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. If you're lost and can't find direction, you can still start somewhere. Give thanks. Start by saying thank you when someone opens the door. Say thanks to your family or friends when they compliment or give you a gift. Be grateful. Of course, we can always be thankful for the cross, for his shed blood. It takes thanksgiving to get in the door, but it's only by his blood that we are received. So give thanks. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he gave thanks. He modeled for us how to be thankful even in our darkest hour. Jesus modeled for us how to be thankful in our darkest hour. Maybe you feel you're in your darkest hour. This is for you. In the context of betrayal, he gave thanks. Thanksgiving is not a gem until it comes out of the pressure of your pain. Maybe you feel betrayed by someone. Maybe you feel betrayed by God for not giving you the answer you desired. Give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Even in the dark place, give thanks. Give thanks until you become thanks. Thankful people attract breakthrough. So give thanks. Every answer to every question in life can be found in his presence, but you can't even get close to him without a thankful heart. So give thanks. So now my sermon is going to start, and it has nothing to do with that passage of Scripture or that subject matter, but uh, it's from the Lord. Just trust me, it's from the Lord. Now I'm going to get a cold drink. Some of you, that sounded perfectly normal to others. Cold drank. That's what my dad would say. I say, Dad, it's drink. Now my daughter says to me, did you say wash the clothes? It's official. I have become my father. So... uh, Let me dive into this. I'm going to move into part two of this Builders series. I don't know how long I'll go. I may have one more. But we're moving into the month of December. Uh, I guess you can still build things in December, right? We can build a manger. Uh, We can build a nativity set. Um, I want to recap a little bit of last week. First of all... uh, Yeah, I'm sorry, two weeks ago. First of all, I'm going to talk about builders' mistakes. Um, When we moved into this building, we were getting different pieces of furniture. So much came with the building when we moved in, thank the Lord and thank Covenant Church. Uh, But there was a table upstairs that we didn't like in our little office where we have a boardroom where we have staff meeting. And so uh, Anna, my daughter-in-law, went shopping and found some furniture. I hate buying furniture that you have to build, that you have to put together. Please don't ever ask me to get something from Ikea. God bless Ikea, but I want no part of it. I'll pay extra to have it delivered already put together. 
I don't even like it when they bring a new sofa and you still have to screw the legs on the bottom. I'll just call, I'll call your husband, all right? <laughs> he can do anything. Uh, so we bought this table and we got out the blueprint. And we were very careful to read the instructions. We, we just took our time and we put things together. But even, we're good readers. We got good grammar. <laughs> and uh, so we understood all the directions and we put pieces together, but uh, we missed it a little bit. And we got ready to put a shelf in a certain place and we got to the leg and there was a screw hole on the wrong side. And the shelf wouldn't fit there. It had to go on the other side for the screw to go in and tighten it up. And I'm first like, well, I think maybe we can just shove it in here. And you know what Anna did? She gets the screwdriver and starts taking everything apart. And uh, I really, I, I love daughter-in-laws. Um, she took the legs out and switched this one and put it here because it suddenly made sense. You have to, we're, we have to, Make sure to pay attention to the fine print. So this is the way it is with scripture sometimes. We can read something and think we understand something our whole life. And then we realize that when I was writing my Revelation of Jesus book, I discovered things in the Bible And my dad would tell me stories about the Bible and what the Bible said, but there were things I discovered my dad had it wrong. I teased about writing a chapter about and calling it Granny was wrong. But because there, there is fine print. You can't make something mean something that it doesn't say. So that's what happened with our little book of instruction upstairs and we took it apart and we finally got it all together if you want I'll give everybody a tour after church and show you the table that we put together that was a lie I'll repent right now I'm not taking anybody anywhere builders mistakes there's nothing more frustrating to spend a lot of money and not get what you want said Nicole on certain Christmas Eve nights when the kids were asleep and I tried to put things together. We paid money for this and it's going to be done right. And there's nothing more frustrating to the people of God to attend church without the presence and the glory and the teaching, and the preaching, and the doctrines, and the gifts, and the community, yes. and the integrity. All the pieces that belong in the house. They get frustrated with us. The reason they change churches isn't because they don't like church, they just don't like your church. I'm talking about other people's churches, not this one. <laughs> there might be a good reason they don't like it. 
It's the same thing every week. After a couple of years, they're like, can we have something besides cupcakes? I'm not going to break down cupcakes. You, you understand what I'm saying. Last week, remember, I shared this scripture from Hebrews 11. The context, it was talking about Abraham. He was looking forward. Say, everybody say, looking forward. To the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. I've heard so many sermons and so many, uh, so many preachers preach this talking about when we go to heaven. And they'll sing songs like, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up. Somewhere beyond the blue, I know they'll welcome me in heaven's open door. But I don't feel at home in this world anymore. You know, that's a great, I used to sing that song. I like that old song. That's a hymn. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. That's a true statement. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Thank you, sister, for singing along. I think you were the only one. You were the only one that knew it. But this is not what Abraham, Abraham had no thought of heaven when he was, when he said this. And then now Paul is Repeating the words of Abraham, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. It was prophetic insight. Abraham said, I'm looking for something that is more than a tent. Something that's more than temporary. I identify as we've hopped from Noah's over to Courtyard Marriott to our address at Bethany, and now we're here. And we want this to be permanent. So, uh, we're gonna take another offering. No. <laughs> if, if, if we're not able to raise all that we need to raise, then this will also be temporary. I'm not interested in a tent. I'm looking for a city. I'm not a tent maker. I'm a builder of buildings. Do you have a heart to build? That's the question I want to ask you. Do you have a heart to build? In life and in church. If we're going to build anything, we're going to have to start in the heart. Before anything is built on the outside, it is first built on the inside, in the heart. Heart is a common word used throughout Scripture, but rarely is the word ever used for the actual human heart. Most often, heart can be translated as desire. Everybody say desire. 
So when I ask you, do you have a heart to build? I'm asking, do you have a desire to build? And I'm going to ask you another important question. Do you have a desire to build God's house? First Chronicles, the 17th chapter, verses 1 and 2. Now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. He's got the same problem Abraham had. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. One of the psalmists wrote about David, Psalm 132. I don't think I submitted this, so y'all just forgive me and let me read it. Don't try to scramble and find it. Psalm 132, verses 1 through 8. Just hear me, all right? Oh God, remember David. Remember all his troubles. And remember how he promised God, made a vow to the strong God of Jacob. Listen to what he says. I'm not going home. I'm not going to bed. I'm not going to sleep, not even take time to rest until I find a home for God, a house for the strong God of Jacob. I'll skip the rest of those verses. You hear, you hear it in his heart. I would suggest to you, David was talking metaphorically because we know he had a heart to build, but the prophet came back and said, you've shed too much blood. So you just need to prepare the supplies and your son will build the house. Say this with me. I will build God a house. I want you to say it again. Once more for good measure while I take another drink. Okay. I'm going to hold you to it. We're all builders. We are all builders. God has put in the heart of every human to build something. You are a builder. Say it. I am a builder. Tell your neighbor, I am a builder. Consider our first parents, Adam and Eve. God created them, then gave them something to create, to build. Our creator has designed us to build. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. A garden was God's project for the first Adam. The church is God's project for the second Adam. I like the way that felt when it came out of my mouth. A garden was God's project for the first Adam. The church is God's project for the second Adam. Where the first Adam failed to build, the second Adam, Jesus, succeeds. Jesus is a builder. Jesus grew up a carpenter. And he never stopped building. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. 
And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As disciples of Jesus, to build is in our blood. And Jesus wants to build his church through you. I want you to realize, if I could focus on every set of eyeballs, I'm saying this to you. Jesus wants to build his church through you. Even the young Padawans sitting over here close to the front. He wants to build his church through you. Is that not good to say Padawans? As believers, we know what we're supposed to build. Jesus tells us. But even heathens are hardwired to build. Remember Babel? Genesis 11.4 says, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us, this was their motivation, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. We are all builders. But what are we building? Today, many people are building like the Babylonians in this 11th chapter of Genesis. They build to make a name for themselves. There's much talk today about building platforms on social media. And I don't, I don't believe there's anything wrong with that. I'm working as best as I can to build a platform. I got hacked and they took away 25,000 followers. Now I only have 7,000. Please, if you're not following me, you follow me. I, it was David Binion, but they, I can't get David Binion. Now it has to be David Lee Binion. So right now, take 30 seconds, find me, and follow me. But I want to wisely steward and expand my reach. I'm convinced it's a good idea to use all the tools we have at our disposal to build the church and do what God's called us to do. I believe if the Apostle Paul were here today, he would have an Instagram and would go live every day and preach us a fiery sermon. People once received the gospel through stained glass windows. Now they receive the gospel potentially through telephone glass. But the spirit of the Babylonians is alive and well. Some of our platforms may look more like, uh, there's this word, ziggurat towers, Z-I-G-G-U-R-A-T, as we strive to selfishly make a name for ourselves. A ziggurat tower was an ascending structure built to honor the patron god of each city. The ziggurat 
was used, not a cigarette, <laughs> ziggurat, was used for a spiritual connection with the gods, a gateway from heaven to earth, and only the high priest had access to these temples and shrines. Building big for the sole purpose of our own name is Babylonian behavior. And God doesn't seem to like Babylonian behavior. He doesn't like Babylonian architecture. He showed us when he confounded and divided the languages of the people there. Some counterfeits are way more subtle. There's a marriage counselor who once said, the number one reason young couples came for counsel was because the husband spent too much time playing video games. I would tell you that wasn't me. I tried video games with my son, Cole, my oldest son, and he wanted me to play games with him, but he was just little, and I would sit there beside him, and he would just destroy me. And I'm like, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? What, what is this button for? Wait, 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 wait. What, what am I doing? He said, he, and he would just say, you got to do this. And I'm like, stop and show me. Now, asteroids, remember the old... They had a game room at the mall. You'd go to a game room and you put quarters in. I would play asteroids and I could crush those little rocks, those, uh, what were they called? It was asteroids. I was good. And there was another, there was another one called uh, Galaga. Is that how you pronounce it? I loved that game. And they would come in, I'd get my little ship and I would go and I would just like, I would get the high score. And, uh, but this other kind of stuff, I tried, and I just got frustrated and said, forget it. <laughs> but marriage counsel, video games. I, I know some men that I, I really don't identify with um, that just just dive into this world of video games and ignore their wife and kids in the process. Jesus, how could this be? Why would video games be so addictive? Because they satisfy our innate desire to build something. What was that called, the one game? Minecraft. Carson loves to build things on these video games. He'll get on there and build worlds and he'll show me what he's done and I'm like, oh, yeah. I pretend to be interested but I know there's no way on earth I could get on there and figure out how to build something. <laughs> Give me a keyboard and I'll play you a song. <laughs> Men are hardwired to make things but perhaps women are hardwired to make those things better. It's not always the case, but men make things and women make those things better. What do you mean? I'll tell you. I'm glad you asked. Men may provide food, but women make dinner. Y'all, that was profound. Come on, work with me. 
Men may provide a house, but women make it a home. Men certainly help make a baby. But women carry and give birth to the baby. Ladies, if you have trouble with your men playing games, he's just hardwired that way. I'm not suggesting to just, I mean, let's work it out, all right? Let's go to Lisa Lyman and get some counseling. (laughs) These fantasy strategy games are addictive because they appeal to our innate nature to build. So what are you building and why? Can you support what you're building with scripture? Some Christians today have been led to believe that what they're building doesn't matter if it's not big or popular. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's secularism, pop culture thinking. I can give you plenty of scripture to support God's delight in you building a family, building a home, building a career, building community, and building God's church. On the other hand, I can give you even more scripture to discourage you from building something big and popular out of selfish ambition in order to make a name for yourself. William McDowell said last year at our conference, there's nothing more Luciferian than when a worship leader stands on a stage leading worship, desiring to be famous. It's a sobering thought, but it's true. We have a generation of young worship leaders desiring to make a name for themselves under the umbrella of worship, building a platform. But we'll get off that subject really quick. I should teach that in a worship conference, not in Dwell Church on Sunday night, but I'll just throw that out there. If you could only build one thing, I want to ask you this question. If you could only build one thing for the rest of your life and it could not be selfish and it had to glorify God, what would it be? How would you answer? How would Jesus answer? The only thing Jesus ever said he'd build is his church. We said it, read it. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm not saying you're not allowed to build anything but church. You can build many things, but every believer should be asking themselves how they can get involved in Jesus' building campaign. I was contemplating this question or maybe it was God asking me this question why are you a pastor 
I'll be honest. There are days that I wish I could just go back on the road and lead people in worship. Because people get on your nerves. <laughs> that was such a good way to, do you see? Do that again. It was the way you did your hand. Amen. <laughs> Does God ever ask you questions? When he does, it's not because he's looking for information. I believe he asks us to help clarify our calling. For me, that is to be a church planter. Because there are times we'd like to just give up. I will be honest again and say, that's usually not me, that's more Nicole that wants to give up. She needs a microphone so she can uh, interject here. So here's my answer to that question. I'm a pastor because I believe the local church is the greatest incubator of human destiny that exists on the planet. I might want to repeat that answer. I'm a pastor because I believe that the local church is the greatest incubator of human destiny that exists on the planet. Did you ever watch The Martin Show? Remember they say, dang Gina? I just wanted to say dang Gina right then, but I didn't. I held it in because I would never say dang in the pulpit. But I believe this with my whole heart. What the local church is, nothing else is. There's no event, no conference, no club, no ministry school, and we have one. No college, no university, no prayer room, no movement, nothing. None of these things are able to match the transformative power of a biblical local church. And this is why I give my life to the church, and this is why I'll never give up. The Lord tricks us with these questions. I truly believe that it's the most God-honoring thing I can do with my life on earth. To give my blood, sweat, and tears to build what Jesus is building. What conference has lasted longer than 2,000 years? What ministry school? What movement? What brand? None. Only the church, because that's what Jesus is building. And what Jesus builds always lasts. Frank Damasio said, the local church is the Jesus project. 
the strongest and most sustainable ministries built in the New Testament were all local churches. There's a man named Michael Brodeur said the local church is the only sustainable plan announced by Jesus, taught by the apostles, and witnessed in the book of Acts. Giving yourself to a local church is biblical and one of the best ways you can invest your time, talent, and treasure. We rightly tithe 10% of our money to God through the local church. Why not also tithe 10% of our time to God through the local church? Oh, that's too radical. wasn't too radical for the early church. Perhaps we've mishandled God's gift of the local church for too long. Nowadays, most American churches, American Christians, have lost nearly all of their value for the local church. Why? Perhaps... We've been building what Jesus is building, but perhaps we've been not building it according to the blueprint. Perhaps we have too many spiritual entrepreneurs. I'll get that word. We have too many entrepreneurs disguised as clergymen. Not building up the body, but building platforms. Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, verse 15. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Thank God Jesus is a builder. And he does more than just new builds. He does renovations. He does restorations. And that's why the church remains. When Jesus walked with his disciples through the city of Jerusalem, they marveled at the structure of the temple and the other buildings. To which Jesus said, there will not be one stone left on another. He prophesied these words 38 years before it actually happened in 70 AD when Jerusalem and the temple was burned and destroyed. In the second chapter of Luke, Jesus cleansed the temple, overturning the tables when he declared, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. In verse 17 of that chapter, Luke 2, verse 17, his disciples remembered the words of David. Zeal for your house has consumed him. That's what they talked about amongst themselves. In verse 18, the Jews asked him, why are you doing this? To which he responded in verse 19, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. So there are layers of revelation in this statement Jesus made. Of course, we know that he was referring to his body. Destroy this temple and in three days we'll raise it up. And we saw the fulfillment 
on the Lord's Day, on Easter Sunday. But you cannot ignore that after the resurrection, Jesus' plan was in play as he began the construction of the new temple, the church, with living stones that build up the house of the Lord. I think, uh, I think Kareem should come back to the keyboards as I try to land this. I have to get to a stopping point. I wrote a song back in the 80s. And I don't think I fully grasped the prophetic picture that God was giving me. Sometimes I write a song and sometimes I feel like the song writes me. But I wrote these lyrics. I'm not going to sing them. It says, we were created to be living stones for a building in the house of the Lord. But the house will not stand until every man is building in one accord. Oh, sisters and brothers, we need to love one another for it's our responsibility. I have to say it like that because it's saying responsibility to get the rhyme right on the next line. I know, Nicole was making fun of me yesterday when I was... Sisters and brothers, we need to love one another for it's our responsibility to settle our difference and enter his presence and worship him in unity. There's another verse. We are many members joined to one body. We were in his plan right from the start, but his will isn't done until Jesus comes and builds his throne within our hearts. But the manifestation only with dedication will come to us when we take our place and worship the Father in spirit and truth. Only then will he inhabit our praise. So do you have a heart to build? Again, 1 Chronicles 17. When David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. David is a death-defying warrior that made it home. If you think about it, we're all David because of what Jesus has done. We have all been saved from death and we're now safe at home in his hands. David is grateful. He now has peace. As he remembers God's goodness, he decides he will do something great for God. Acts 13, 22, David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. I love that that is said about David. David looks at what he's built for himself, a cedar home. Then he looks at what he's built for God and says, I've not done enough. Are you there today? Some may say, what could I do for God? What can I give? 
God already has everything he needs. Have you ever shopped for someone that has everything? I know I've gone to dinner with some wealthy people before and I was determined to pick up the check. They have so many more zeros in their account than I do. I mean, I say zero behind all the other numbers. But I'm not trying to impress by paying for a $300 meal, swallow hard when I see the check. Okay, Nicole and I have gone on lots of dates before when we paid a few hundred dollars. <laughs> but I just tell you, it feels good when you go to Chewy's and spend 48. <laughs> but I've had some of them before say, never do that again. Why do I do it? Because I love them. I can't compete with their bank account, but to show my love, to show uh, that I want to serve, I do it out of love, not because I'm trying to make an impression. And so is God. I could devote an entire paycheck to take Nicole on a wonderful vacation. And she is not impressed with how much money is spent. She knows I love her. There's no amount of money that we can spend to impress God. But when we are moved by love and thankfulness to do something special for God from our hearts, he certainly receives and delights in those sacrifices. God doesn't need anything expensive. What he wants is something valuable. I will build God a house. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.